It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Podcast Network, I'm Dana Perino, and everything will be okay. Hello and welcome back. Last week, we spoke to fashion designer and author Rebecca Minkoff about her entrepreneurial success and perseverance through the pandemic. I really enjoyed her thoughts about signing your own permission slip and not waiting for approval from others. That is so important to keep in mind when making big career and life decisions. Remember, you're in charge of those decisions. Nobody else. So take charge of it and make good decisions for yourself. My guest this week has given me such great inspiration for working hard, doing well, and just being a real positive force in our world. The window for success felt like it was narrowing as I finished graduate school when I'd expected the opposite. Plus, at the time, the three main networks all were anchored by the same three men I'd been watching since I was a kid. How could I get ahead? I started to question my choices. Maybe my plan was wrong, which was a hard pill to swallow since I'd taken out quite a hefty student loan to pay for graduate school. Lesson alert number three. Changing course is to be expected, not avoided. Embrace the change. Matthew West is a musician, singer-songwriter, and father of two girls. In this conversation, we discuss his upbringing and how he broke into the music industry, the values that guide his life, his thoughts on our current times and fatherhood, and the mission behind his work. Matthew, it's an honor to have you. I was really thrilled to be on your amazing and very popular podcast when uh, Everything Will Be Okay came out. And then out of that, we became friends, which is really amazing. I love to pinch myself about that. And I admire you so much and really wanted my listeners to have a chance to learn more from you. So thanks for coming on. Well, it's my honor. I'm a huge fan of yours. And, and to you know call you friend as well has been such a thrill in the recent months. And your book is awesome. Your episode on my podcast, people absolutely flipped out. And I had a lot of friends that said, how did you get the great Dana Perino? <laughs> no. So I scored like major cool points with a lot of people. Okay. Well, I'm going to try to do the same. I'm going to try hey, just to get started. So people that might not know you tell, tell me a little bit about your upbringing, uh, where you grew up and um, then a big decision early on in your life, I think, which I read online that you love sports Yes. You wanted to get a baseball scholarship to play in college. And, you know, in the book, I talk about, you know, you have these ideas and plans and then things don't work out. But that actually yeah. turns out to be OK. Yeah. And that part of your book resonates especially loud with me because I have learned over and over again that sometimes the best things that ever happen to us are the things that never happen to us. It's the dreams that we thought should come true that turned into a closing door that wound up redirecting and guiding our lives in the direction they were always meant to go. We think we have the best plan for our lives. And then, you know, here's a shocker. Sometimes we don't. So, you know, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, Illinois, and, you know, I'm in the 
shadows of Wrigley Field. And, you know, it just it was a dream of mine to play first base for a major league baseball team. And I thought I was pretty good. You know, plus I was blessed to have parents who, you know, made me believe anything was possible. According to my dad, I was the greatest baseball player since Babe Ruth. But, um, you know, I wound up not getting any scholarship offers. Um, The Chicago Sun-Times did an article at one point and they listed me as a top college prospect Hmm. and I didn't get a single scholarship. Hmm. I didn't get drafted. We had scouts coming to our games. I thought they were watching me, Dana. They were watching my buddy in center field. He got drafted by the White Sox, tore his ACL. Now he's a dentist and now I'm a singer in Nashville, Tennessee and I'm doing an interview with Dana Perino. So life hasn't gone the way I thought it would, but I'll tell you what, it's 100% better because, uh, you know, fast forward when one dream went away, I started just developing a passion for, for music and songwriting. And it turns out the whole time I was focused on sports, Dana, people were in my life saying, hey, you've got a gift for music, but I just wasn't paying attention because I had my like baseball blinders on. When those were taken off, that's when I began mm-hmm. to realize maybe music is my future. That's it's really interesting. So wait, is Nashville getting a team? You know what? We're hoping there's a whole bunch of people lobbying and trying to make it all happen. But I'm hearing that, you know, I, I, I don't know the frequency of which new expansion teams get added, but I've heard that like Las Vegas is the favorite for every sport now. Right. So Las Vegas might beat Nashville out this time. I don't around. know. I mean, if I were if I were a baseball, I would definitely go to Nashville. I mean, look well, at the, like the support. Well, I guess Las Vegas is the same, but like the support for your hockey team. It's oh, incredible. Man. And the football team. I mean, the Titans. Oh, yeah. The Titans. How can I forget? <laughs> We've got some good stuff going on in Nashville. I know you're a fan of Nashville, and you're a big fan of the songwriter community. So Nashville has so much to offer, and it's a city that's growing like crazy. I personally would be excited if a Major League Baseball team came. Of course, you know, I'd be waiting for, for them to call me to come try out for the team, and I'm afraid that call. <laughs> hey, maybe come. you could sing the national anthem. <laughs> Well, you know what the coolest thing was is several years later when my music career started to take off, I got the opportunity and I've done this at many stadiums now, but especially the special one for me was going back to Wrigley Field where my dad used to take me all those years as a child. I got to take my dad to Wrigley Field Mm. and I didn't get to play in the game, but I got to sing the Mm. national anthem at Wrigley Field. And you talk about a full circle moment where you realize, you know what, maybe there's a bigger plan for my life than I'm aware of. So I got on the field after all, Dana. How cool is that? <laughs> so is that, do you still, who do you support? What team? Well, uh, now I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm a bit of a Fairweather fan because I, you know, when you, you kind of make friends in, in different industries and then you start rooting for, for those people. And so uh, when we travel around the country, a lot of times we'll do these faith and family concerts after a baseball game. And then they'll give me, you know, we'll play in Houston, Texas, and they'll give me a jersey and a hat and I'll meet some of the players. And guess what? I kind of want the Astros to win. And then, <laughs> then I go to Kansas City and I'm singing at the Chiefs game in the NFL and I'm like well I never cheered for the Chiefs before but now I kind of want them to win so Uh, my friends in Chicago call me a fair weather fan but my heart truly does belong to the Chicago Cubs all right all right well that's good to know that's good to know um (laughs) I have a question so your dad was a pastor is that right yeah, my dad was a, a minister in the Chicago mm. suburbs. He preached at the same church for 38 years. So mm. that was all I ever knew. And I'm a preacher's kid. And So uh, he thought you were a great baseball player, but he did he think you were talented musically? 
He did. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, I really I mean it. My, my mom and my dad, you want to talk about some champions in my life. And I've come to realize just how grateful I should be for that. Not to take it for. Yeah. Granted, let you me know. tell you. Absolutely. Right. To have parents in your corner that are uh, that are cheering you on. In fact, when when we all realized that baseball was not going to be in my future and I came to my parents and I said, hey, you know, I think maybe music is what I want to do. And any, you know, a mom and dad could be scared to death that their son's going to wind up singing, you know, karaoke contests every Thursday night at Chuck E. Cheese or something, you know. And so but instead, my parents just said, hey, we believe in you. We think you do have a gift for music and we're going to be cheering you on. On. All these years later, how cool is this? They're still cheering me on. In fact, my dad travels with me on the road as our chaplain and helps keep me and my band out of trouble. And uh, it's just so cool that now we get to work together. So they've always championed me and encouraged my dreams. And uh, I'll never forget, there was one moment, Dana, my, my dad said, you know, do you think you should maybe get an education degree as a backup plan? You know, maybe you could be a music teacher if your singing career doesn't work out. And my dad reminded me the other day, actually, he said, do you know what your answer to that question was? I said, I think I do. He said, here's exactly what you said. That's going to be a fallback plan. And if I if I sign myself up for that, then I'll probably fall back on that. And so I don't want to give myself a plan B. And mm -hmm. uh, and mm -hmm. man, I had I guess I just always had that kind of determination and it served me well in life. I haven't had to get a job as a as a teacher just yet. <laughs> we'll be right back with more of this interview after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. I am really into, uh, I love country music. I yeah. love the songwriting part of it. Um, yeah. I was a country music DJ way back when. I, I, I saw, you wrote for Billy Ray Cyrus. And yeah. when I was in, in 1990. Two, three, <laughs> two, three. I was a country music DJ working overnights wow. uh, for minimum wage in Pueblo, Colorado for Pueblo, Colorado Springs. And the number one song in the country at the time was Achy Breaky Heart. Oh, and I man. had to play that song at the top of the hour, every hour for months. I had it in my head for years. Oh, Please yeah. tell me you didn't work on that song. Well, I, t I tell you what, I wish I did, because if I wrote <laughs> that song, I'd be flying to come and that, see you in person that's true. in my helicopter, <laughs> in my achy, breaky heart helicopter. But yeah, that was one of those songs that you, you love to hate because they played it so much. Oh, but my gosh. Yes. But whoever um, wrote it is sitting pretty with some mailbox money coming in every month. <laughs> but a lot of people will will um, you know be in Nashville for a long time or say that they want to get into music. Right. And some of them yeah. like you look like a like a Taylor Swift knows early on. She goes as a teenager yeah. she, and they're and they're um, grinding it out every day and they're working so hard and they don't take a break and maybe they have a second job. Um, what was your break? Man, you know what's crazy? So I, I was studying music at this conservatory at a, a great college in Decatur, Illinois. Shout out to Milliken University. And uh, so here I was in Decatur, Illinois, six hours from Nashville. But I had my eyes on Nashville. And my big break was somebody who I didn't even know had secretly paid my way to go to this music seminar that took place. It's funny, you mentioned Pueblo, Colorado, in Estes Park, Colorado. Mm -hmm. 
in the Rocky Mountains, there was a seminar that I wasn't even aware of, and it was for uh, specifically the contemporary Christian music industry, where all these industry professionals would come, and then you could sort of enter your songs into a competition and get critiqued. And, and so somebody at my college who wanted to remain anonymous had paid for me to go to this seminar. And another person at the university said, hey, we there's a bunch of us who think you should do this and you're and it's already been paid for. And I thought, well, I'm supposed to mow lawns this summer for the park district. You know, should I do this? And I called my dad, which is what I've done for many years when I need advice. And he said, hey, son, this looks like an opportunity. You need to just you need to walk through this open door. And it was traveling to Colorado where I met somebody who later became my champion, somebody who saw something in the first songs that I was writing and believed that I was going to be part of a next generation of singers and songwriters. And that relationship developed during the rest of my time in college. And two weeks before I got my diploma, I got another envelope in the mail at my dorm and it was a songwriting contract. Can you believe that? Wow. No, I mean, that that's actually, it's, it's so unusual. And so wonderful. It was the coolest thing. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, I ran around my dorm. I ran straight to my professor's office because he, he didn't think it was really happening. And I said, look, I did it. I did it. I'm going to be rich. <laughs> I'm going to. And, you know, lo and behold, I looked at the contract and it was like $10,000 I was going to get paid. And mm-hmm. I thought, I mean, I thought <laughs> I was a Rockefeller. I mean, 10000 <laughs> bucks to write songs. How cool is that? And did you play the guitar? Yeah, so uh-huh. I didn't start instruments until uh, later on. My parents tried to have me take piano lessons as a kid, but I just kind of got bored with it. And so singing was the main thing that I did. I was like the lead in the school musical. Oh, okay. So I would sneak out of baseball practice to go wow. you know, be Jesus in Godspell, and my team <laughs> would give me a hard time. But So I, I did always have a love for music, but it wasn't my passion. When I went to college, Dana, I started, it was a crash course. I, I was a music major, so I was surrounded by all of these brilliant mus- musicians. So I picked up a guitar, and I'm watching a great guitar player, and I'm learning from them. I had a poster I went and bought from the nearby Walmart, and I put it up on my dorm, and it showed me how to play all the chords. And so during the day, I would be learning classical music and then at night I'd be in my dorm room trying to learn songs by Hootie and the Blowfish so that I could play at the fraternity party that weekend. Oh, it's so so cool. It's very cool. And um, Vince Gill, is he as great as I think? Oh. Oh, he's the best. I mean, one of the highlights of my career was I did a, I wrote a Christmas song called Leaving Heaven. And the message of the song is just this little singer songwritery acoustic guitar song. And, and the idea is about, you know, how God would love us so much that he would leave the splendor of heaven to, to walk a broken earth and bring light to a dark world, the message of Christmas. And I had this crazy idea. I told my producer, I said, how cool would it be if Vince Gill would play guitar and sing on this song. And my producer was one of those guys who just thought, well, you don't know unless you ask. And so we called Vince. I actually, I texted Amy Grant, his wife, because I knew her. And I said, I know this is a long shot and he probably gets asked a million times. Do you think Vince would, would ever entertain the thought of singing with me on my record? Her response back was, why don't you ask him? And then gave me his cell phone. And I was like, 
wait, I have Vince Gill's cell phone. So I just took a chance. I asked him. He showed up at my studio. He wouldn't even let me compensate him. I, he showed up. It was a class act through and through. And one of the coolest moments of my career is now recorded. And it's a, huh. it's a, it's a sweet, sweet song. I got with, to see in the, the last concert I saw, last event I had before COVID, yeah. was I got invited by a good friend, Mitch Rochelle. Uh, he invited Peter and me to Madison Square Garden to see the Eagles. Yes. And Vince and- Gill is um, you know, with the band now. And wow, that was amazing. I loved it. Can you believe? I mean, he is so talented. So talented and so humble about it all. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of like the the opposite of a rock star. You know what I mean? Like, and I'll tell you, that's one of the fun things about Nashville. And you've probably seen it even in your times here. But you know, the biggest stars are some of the most unassuming people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I'll be in. I was walking through Whole Foods one day, and uh, Nicole Kidman standing right in front of me. And I know mm-hmm. she's not a music artist, but she's married to Keith Urban, and it, and it's just you'll see that all the time in Nashville. It's very, uh, I've heard you know, I am a, I'm pretty good friends with JT Harding. Oh, what who a great has a list of songs that, um, you know, I, for those of you who think you're not getting mentored right now, you are just trust me. Um, mm-hmm. we're getting to some really good stuff here in a second. The JT Harding has written lots and lots of songs. And well, I got to go to this event with him who introduced me to Scott Hendricks, who was a big producer. And then he introduced me to somebody who's become a, also a very good friend of mine. Um, and what a person who talk about you know walks with God who has gone through a lot a lot of adversity but is so cheerful and that's Amy Mayo, who oh, wrote oh, yeah. so has written so many songs. Um, this yeah, one's for so the girls. Amazing. Amazed. I mean, you go on, on, yeah. on and on. And she is just the most unassuming, accomplished person. And I find that a lot in Nashville. And I think it's maybe it's not, obviously it's probably not universal, universally true. But there's a humility that comes from the success there. And it seems like that's part of the culture. It really is. I mean, and I think a lot of it it does come from the songwriters. You know, I kind of have these dual careers, Dana, where I'm a songwriter behind the scenes writing songs for other artists in country music and Christian music. But then I also have a record deal, so I make my own records. So I get to kind of see it from both sides. But I will say some of the most humble and and they're so talented that they, they could be less than humble if they wanted to be. But case in point, last week I had a guy named Casey Bethard at my house. Now, uh, if you haven't met Casey, Dana, you need to. I mean, he's just a walking inspiration. One of the great songwriters, a Hall of Famer that Nashville has ever seen. He's written a ton of the Eric Church songs, um, a bunch of Kenny Chesney songs. I, you know, he wrote uh, No Shoes, No mm-hmm. Shirt, No mm-hmm. Problem. I mean, yep. you name it. He's written such great poetry. In fact, he has a song on Eric Church's new record called Leonard Skinner Jones that if you haven't heard it, <laughs> You got to listen to it. But, but, you know, Casey's son was murdered in Nashville, Mm. um, in January in Mm. the pen, in the pandemic. And Mm. Casey and his family have been through a storm, uh, like no family would ever, you know, dream of going through. Now, Casey's other son plays uh, in the National Football League as a, a quarterback, but he, he sat at my house and he's telling me his story and we're just talking about God's faithfulness. And you just get to meet all these incredible individuals and where their inspiration comes from. You know, a lot of songwriters, you know, we find inspiration in the broken parts of our lives. Mm-hmm. And 
that's where I ultimately find hope in Nashville. You get to see it every day. Even during a pandemic, Dana, it was so cool to see songwriters writing these songs of hope that were rising up out of the ashes of, of a really broken season in our nation and in our world. And so, I don't know, there's just a really special thing going on in Nashville. And you've been a real champion for songwriters, and that means a lot to What's us. What's it been like to get back out on the road? Um, you know, there's, there's, it's one thing to be the, you know, the star of the show. Uh, but you have a band and you have people yeah. that put together the shows and they couldn't work. And it was really yes. um, worrisome for a lot of people um, for a long time. And now you're back out on the road. Um, what's that been like? Well, there's an anticipation from our crew and our guys like never before. Like we're, I tell you what, when we hit the stage, it feels like we're shot out of a cannon because mm -hmm. we are like, we're chomping at the bit. I mean, imagine like literally I had 90 concerts canceled like off the books and mm. multiply that by every artist in Nashville and and you know from the biggest to the smallest and all of these band members and crew members were left you know I had a guitar player with a baby girl who had to go hang drywall for a season you know and mm. the, I, could, I could literally go person for person and talk about how the pandemic affected them individually and so you want to talk about the other night we got back on a tour bus and we're, it was just like, I wanted to hug the bus driver. You know what I mean? <laughs> but most bus drivers, they're not the hugging type. But, but it was just this excitement and gratitude. And then here's the full circle. We get on stage and guess who else is grateful? The people in the crowd. Yeah, like never absolutely. Before. Like there, they, you can just taste and sense this like anticipation and being thankful that something's been restored to us that was taken away for so long. Not to mention everybody, you know, and their livelihood. So I've been trying to take as many concerts as possible to make sure that my band and my crew can get back to work as quickly as possible. So you're also a dad. Um, yeah. And uh, you're a girl dad. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you, because um, you have uh, a new song out. And I want you to tell me a little bit about that and about the summer and how this all came to be as you tried to raise these independent, fantastic young girls uh, to be um, the best that they can be. And what do you try decided to do this summer? Yeah, so my wife Emily and I, uh, we just celebrated our eight, 18th anniversary, and we have two amazing daughters. Lulu is 15. Yeah, thank you. And Delaney is 12 years old. And that's actually one of the many reasons why I was excited to have you on my podcast was because of the focus of your book and because of your heart and desire to mentor young women as they're coming through life and trying to carve out their path. And I'm always as a dad, like, look, I grew up in a house full of boys. And so having daughters, I'm like, I'm hitting my knees every day going, God help me. I don't know, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Especially and so 12 and 15. Those are not easy ages. <laughs> <laughs> Especially last night I'm having this conversation with my oldest, like, should she or shouldn't she break up with, you know, this boy? And I'm like, oh, and I'm just like, literally, <laughs> while I'm listening, like, I'm actually praying going, okay, God, help me not to screw this one up. Cause these are, these are pivotal moments when you, you know, your daughter's trying to feel you out. Can I trust dad with this type of conversation? Well, and you want, you want your daughters to be able to keep talking to you for as long as <sighs> they can. And I think having a dad that's willing to listen and, you know, a lot yeah. of times, and I wrote, I think I wrote about this in the book. If not, I talk about it sometimes even, and women can do this too, but let's say that your loved one is, is telling you a problem, especially girls, right? They, they just want to be heard. They don't want you to try to solve it for them. Oh, and sometimes I... uh, men will jump in right away and say, well, here, this is, this is how we'll fix it. 
It's like, yeah. no, like, no, I know, I know how to fix yeah. it. All right, let, just let me let, just let me talk it out. And uh, <laughs> I think that um, you know your girls probably enjoy learning from you uh, from that example. Oh, I, I'm trying so hard to to be the latter, like what you just described, because you're exactly right. That is the tendency, especially as a protective dad. You want to step in and like, wait, this boy said what? I'm going over there. You know what I mean? So it is like trying to just and I every time my daughters have a heart to heart talk with me, my heart smiles because I feel like, OK, as much as I think I'm screwing up as a dad, maybe I'm doing something mm-hmm. right enough that they would feel comfortable to talk to me. And so, you know, and I think what it really gets to, you mentioned like my latest song is a song called What If? And the heartbeat of that song is to reach the end of our lives with no what ifs, no regrets. So the lyric says, uh, what if today's the only day I got? I don't want to waste it if it's my last shot. You know, and it it talks about, you know, in the end, I want to know I got no regrets and no what ifs. And one of the things that's really been on my mind and my heart over the last couple of years, and I think maybe even accelerated by what our country and our world have gone through is we're going to ask what if questions uh, one way or the other. We can choose to face some of the what if questions in the present moment, make some changes we need to make, um, live our lives to the fullest, or we can wait until it's too late and we're looking back on our lives and we're riddled with regrets. Nobody wants to be in that position at the end of their lives. One of the stories that has impacted me the deepest was a lady who wrote to me about her estranged father who was not the dad he needed to be, wasn't the husband he needed to be. Relationships had been just devastated and severed and the kids didn't have anything to do with their dad until they find out that he's on his deathbed. And this now grown woman wrote to me and she said, you know, I just felt like I needed to go be with him, even though he wasn't with me when I needed him. So she chose the path of forgiveness as hard as it was. She sits down by his bedside and they're in the hospital. And she said, and I don't know why she included this part in her story, but it really impacted me and I've never forgotten it. She said that there was a moment of quiet and like um, just honesty where the dad just spoke up and said, I missed it, didn't I? I Mm. missed it. And those words just, I mean, how heavy is that? And she tried to encourage him and say, well, we have right now. You're not missing it right now. And I think that's one of the things that that story haunts me in the best way, because I don't want to be in that position looking back saying, I missed it with my kids. I missed it with my wife. I missed it in my life. I was climbing this ladder to the top and I got to the top and realized it was up against the wrong building. You know what I mean? And, uh, and so we've been on a mission as a family and myself as an individual just to make sure that I'm treating like this. What if today's the only day I've got, you know, we don't think about that often enough. So what have been some of the things that, um, they've come up with that they wanted to do that you thought, oh gosh, really? (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of the craziest things was my oldest daughter, Lulu, she's an adventurer, Dana. Like she's fearless. Like, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen, what her story is going to wind up being. But if this is any indication, then just pray for me because I said, Hey, I want to take you on a special daddy daughter weekend and we'll do whatever you want. She goes, dad, I decided what I want to do for our weekend. I said, anything. (laughs) She said, I want to go swimming with sharks i said anything but that (laughs) but you know then i thought well do i squelch her adventurous spirit or do i man you go and and so guess what i surprised her one day i said hey get your bags we're going to florida and we're going to swim with sharks and it was the worst experience of my life really 
Well, I was scared to death. Like, I, I mean, ever since I saw Jaws 1 through 5 as a kid, why my parents let me watch Jaws as a my kid? My mom and dad never let me watch it. Oh, man. I never have seen it. <laughs> but uh, but we went and we did that and and we survived it. And she had the most amazing time of her life. And, mm-hmm. and I had the most amazing time watching her have the most amazing time, even though I was having an hour long, <laughs> you know, panic attack at 150 foot deep water out in Florida somewhere with bull sharks swimming all around us. But, you know, the, the, it doesn't always have to be that some of it has been, hey, we're going to put our devices down. And we're going to force a family walk today. <laughs> okay. And, you know, so some of it's been very just like practical. And for me as a dad, like it's like, okay, I got three girls in my house. You know what? Three date nights every week. Man, that that's going to get expensive and that's time consuming. But really, how, can I afford not to do that? Do you know what I mean? Like this is, and so, in fact, uh, Saturday night, I surprised my wife. She's a huge Garth Brooks fan. I hope she's a bigger Matthew West fan, but I think, I think she actually might like Garth more than me, but (laughs) surprise her with tickets. We're going to see Garth and it's going to be epic and we're going to have a date night. So, you know, quality time as a dad and as a family, uh, I think that's been one of the huge ways that we're, uh, you know, making sure that we're not having any regrets because time's flying, Dana, and Mm -hmm. the time that we get with our loved ones like that song of kenny chesney's don't blink oh don't blink that's a great song i actually quote that song Mm -hmm. in another song of mine i wrote a song called the beautiful things we miss and uh and and the lyric says um i don't want to miss it i don't want to look back one day and find everything that really mattered was right in front of me this whole time Mm -hmm. open up my eyes lord keep me in the moment just like this before the beautiful things we love become the beautiful things we miss and uh and later on i quote chesney i said uh we don't get uh, they were right when they said don't blink it all goes faster than you think so these are the things that i'm thinking about lately i can't help but wonder if maybe that's due in part to just what like i said what we've been through yeah i think so i think so Maybe we're all being reminded, like, hey, don't take this day for granted. Like, if your heart's beating and you're breathing, then God still has you here on this earth for a reason. Don't waste it. And I don't want to waste it. That's my. That's like one of my biggest fears. And uh, I don't know, maybe not fear, but it's just something that really challenges me in a good way. More to come right after this. Do you have any tips for um, helping uh, daughters the age of yours? Um or even maybe when they're younger, but I think this is around the age when they start getting um, the anxiety about their future. And it can be quite overwhelming. And one of the things I ask in the book is that I ask all of the readers, please don't worry your young lives away. I really feel like I worried my 20s away for no reason. When I look back, like all the wow. worries I did did not lead me to the opportunities that I either I stumbled upon or that came my way. I think that's a great point. And part of that worry comes from like, why is it so hard for us to be content in the moment we're in? You know what I mean? You serenity. T- and that's a whole, whole chapter on serenity. That's like, like yes. it's the, that's the ultimate, that's God's gift to you is, are these glimpses of the peace. And I don't, you know, I don't care if you're male, female, this is, uh, this is part of the human condition. And I have struggled with this in, in my entire life. I'm going to tell you what, my brother, one time, my, my brother who managed me for five years, he texted me great. He said, great news. You got nominated for a Grammy award. My response was which category mm-hmm. his response was uh, uh, Christian song of the year. My response, not album 
question mark mm-hmm. his response many expletives <laughs> like what's the matter with you but, right. but i say that as an example of like man there's one thing to have amb- ambition and to keep striving and keep climbing and that's part of what we're supposed to do with our lives as well is to to work at it and dream and have vision but man that there can be an unhealthy side to that and one of the things if i'm being honest with you dana that i'll get concerned about is what are my kids seeing in me and so if you ask okay, what can I give as advice in terms of raising young girls as they're trying to figure out maybe having anxiety over what to do with their lives? I I obviously have to set the example as a parent. My wife, it's up to us that our words line up with our actions. And so I could encourage them, hey, just enjoy the moments. God's going to show you what his plan for your life is. Rest in that. Continue to be open to opportunities. But if all they see is a dad and mom riddled with anxiety, never content with what they have, always thinking the grass is greener, always trying to keep up with whoever they're competing with or whatever, then my words are going to fall on deaf ears because they've seen dad never be content because he got nominated for this Grammy, but he's all in a bad mood about this. And so I'm trying to set a better example of contentment. Um, but in terms of advice for my daughters, I do want them to understand that their life is a story. And my parents always encouraged me that we We get fooled into thinking we're the author of our own story. And if I could give my daughters any advice, I do hope that they realize that there's a bigger story at play and they may not understand what's going on at all times. But I do believe that the that the maker of their story is the author of their story. And if Mm -hmm. I could see anything take place in their lives, it would be that they dare to believe that somebody else has a better plan for them. And Mm -hmm. when they step towards that direction, then just like this failed baseball player turned musician, you're going to find fulfillment like you've never never known before because you realize there's a bigger story than you can see. I love that's beautiful. We should finish off this the Grammy story though. Right? <laughs> you what, won. I, Didn't you win? Well, no, I've I'm still waiting. Oh I've not won. the Grammy. But, but, but you were country muse uh, what what, I, what was yeah, the songwriter of the year? What was that one? Yeah. Yeah, I won Songwriter of the Year. Um, So the Christian music uh, industry has the Dove Awards, which is like uh, the Grammy Awards for Christian music. So, of course, it's a Dove, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh, and and then instead of platinum records, they give gold, frankincense, and no, I'm just kidding. That's a joke. That's a joke. But uh, no, I have I have been very fortunate, and uh, you know, um, just to be recognized. The songwriting is where my real passion is. So uh-huh. whenever I win a songwriting-driven award from ASCAP or Billboard, it's it's really special. How have things changed so much in terms of how you measure success with how the music industry has changed since when you started? You know, because it used to be that I would buy an album, right, or a, a, that was going way back, or a, a cassette tape, or. Um, To download a song meant like waiting till it came on the radio again and hitting play and record at the same time Um, or then CDs. um, And now with Spotify, for example, like do you do you find the way that you measure your own success to be changing as well? It's definitely changing. Um, Some of it changes, and I'm sure it's the same in in your world where you probably have more statistics and analytics that you can shake a stick at. And yet sometimes, even in the midst of having more information about who your audience is and what they're responding to, it, it... it doesn't tell the whole story. And so I I have more information. I could tell you, okay, man, Dallas 
is listening to my music more than any other city in America today. And that's I'm actually not making that up. I, I can look at the stats and I see it all happening. And a lot of that does inform and educate like where we should go on tour, what market mm-hmm. is underdeveloped and why. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of that. And then social media helps a lot. Um, but I, I think the way I'm measuring success is way different now than it used to be in the beginning. I think when you're in the beginning, you're sprinting and you're going, you're going a hundred miles a minute. And it's like, I, I want to have this hit. I need another hit. I need another hit. And now it's like, I don't just want a hit song. I want a song that impacts people's lives. I want to, I want to write a song that is so real and so honest from my story that when somebody else hears it, it's not just a, a catchy song they like on the radio. It's a song that they're listening to in the midst of the biggest battle they're facing in their life. Like I, I, I don't think it's too bold of an aspiration to consider my songs lifelines for people. Like that's my mission in life and is because I've seen it happen. I've mm-hmm. seen how a three minute song has been a ray of light in somebody's darkness. And I, when you get a taste of that, like, that you want more of that because that goes beyond just entertaining people. That's like that. Yeah. Gets, I don't know. You get a taste of something that has more of a temporary impact and more or less of a temporary and more of an eternal impact. When somebody says, Hey, you know what? Your song truth be told has made me decide that, you know, I'm really, I'm willing to man up and I'm going to re- a recovery program right now. Like, and that's not a hypothetical. Right. Like, when I hear that, it's like, that's what I want to be on this earth for. I remember going to a Mercy Ships fundraiser type thing uh, weekend, and they had a, uh, entertainers there. Gosh, I wish I could remember their name. And they had a rendition of Be Still. Ooh. And it was so good. And I listened to that on the subway. Um <laughs> Over and over That's again. Listen to that. <laughs> yeah, and I'd be like, like, just like, take a moment, like, get inside, just a person, have a quiet, quiet moment, and that really helped me get through some things during that time. I, I, I love this song of yours, "Love on the Radio." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was that you yeah. trying? Maybe tell people a little bit about that song. But I was curious as I was listening to it again today that was that you basically saying I'm not caving on who I'm going to be. It really, it's kind of my mission statement. And, and ironically, that's one of my songs that's never been on the radio, but it's called Love on the Radio. And the whole song starts with this kind of spoken word thing. And it just says, people ask me all the time, why did you choose, you know, the kind of music you make, which is mostly known in Christian music. And they say, wouldn't you make more money if you were, quote unquote, mainstream? And then I go on to say, well, this song is my answer. And and I guess what I'm saying in that song is, yes, there are probably more lucrative paths. You know, mm-hmm. yes, if I was um, trying to be, you know, Bieber, I'd be on People magazine and, you know, all these other things. Maybe I could make more money. Maybe I could have more fame and all of these other things. But, you know, I think that song was my way of saying what I just said to you moments ago of just going, man, that's all well and good. And I've chased that in the past. But I'm going to tell you something, man. I want to write music that. I simply want to bring hope to people. And I'll give you a good example, Dana. Like in our genre, it's kind of funny because people like there's less face recognition. Like, you know, Keith Urban walks down the street and everybody knows or Taylor Swift or whatever. But in our genre, people might know my name before they know my face. So when I'm at the airport, 
Like, they don't know my face. And then the security guy looks at my ID and he sees my name. He's like, oh, are you the singer? Like, that's mm-hmm. how that always happens, right? And one time I got noticed and this lady came up to me and she started freaking out about how much my songs had changed her life. Then she asked me for a picture, but she called me Chris Tomlin, who's another <laughs> singer. You know what I mean? Talk about being humbled, right? Um, but I think that was a moment for me where I had to come to grips with, hey, what would I rather have people remember about me? Would mm-hmm. I rather have them remember my name or would I rather have them remember the message of the song that I sang for them? that helped them find some hope during a hard time. And you know what? I will choose the latter every day of the week because that to me is kind of what I'm trying to teach my daughters too, is like your life is gonna be the most fulfilling. You're gonna get to the end of your life with no regrets and no what ifs. If you were always mindful that there's a cause greater than yourself, that you can contribute Amen. to in this life. Amen. When you're the main character of your story, your story can only be so fulfilling. And when I'm the main character in my story, I'm the guy who's not happy about being nominated for a Grammy because he didn't get mm-hmm. all the nominations. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be that person. You know, I want to be the person who realizes. Yeah. I was just going to say, it's funny. I was just thinking about how um, in 2011, it was July, it was hot as heck. And I had just got back from Africa where I was doing some work on with Voice of America. And I was at baggage claim. I just like tired. And I get this phone call from a guy here at Fox News saying, hey, Dana, um, would you mind coming up to Fox, uh, to Manhattan, you know, for five weeks? We're just going to do this temporary program in between July 4th and Labor Day. We're going to call it the five and um, you just have to live in a hotel here in midtown Manhattan for five weeks. But we'd really appreciate it if you wouldn't mind coming up and helping us out. And I was like, are you kidding me? Oh, but the Fox part of what I did at the time post White House was my favorite part of my day. So I grudgingly said yes, thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm going to have to leave my home and my husband and my dog. And I had all these other responsibilities at the time. And. I called Peter. I didn't even know where he was because he traveled uh, traveled at the time a lot internationally. And I woke him up. He was in Korea. Hmm. And I said, Peter, guess what? And I told him this whole story. And his first reaction was, congratulations. <laughs> and I said, what? And he said, Dana, this what? is what you've always wanted to do your whole life. Wow. And I was like, oh, right. Mm. And the five just celebrated its 10th anniversary. And that's the longest I've ever held a job. And it's so interesting how people in your life, like your brother, (laughs) saying, are you kidding me? And then my other example of that is one time I was in, not too long ago, we were in Central Park and we're walking the dog Jasper and this guy jogs by and he does a double take and he takes his, uh, uh, I was going to call them hearing aids. They're not hearing aids. Uh, His um, uh, headphones out. And he says, hey, is, is that Jasper? Like, yeah, yeah, it's Jasper. And he's like, oh, wow, it's amazing, amazing. And he's like, do you mind if I get a picture? I'm like, oh, no, sure. Peter will take it. So Peter gets the phone and he, Jasper, I get, you know, him in position. And then I move to get next to Jasper to be in the photo. And the guy says, oh, uh, actually, just Jasper. And I was like, uh. wow. Okay. And that was humbling. That was humbling indeed. Um that's amazing. It was great. Well, Ivan, I've loved talking to you. I'll um, I'll let you go. I enjoyed it so much. I um, have really enjoyed getting to know you. And I think that our listeners are just going to absolutely love this. And I highly encourage wow. everyone to um, go on whatever platform you have to get music. Look up Matthew West. Um, 
in all of these songs. Find one that connects with you and you know, play it over and over again as you walk. I've been listening to Hello, My Name Is. Oh, yeah. Uh, quite yeah. a bit. I can play it. I can play that. And what if, uh, how many times, like, I think two and a half times between where I work at Fox and where I walk to get home. That's amazing. Well, you know, and those those messages of both those songs line up with the heartbeat of your book. I mean, the way mm-hmm. that you're empowering young women to make the most of the light one life that they get and to and to know their true identity and to not let it be affected by the world around them. You know, and uh, those are those are things I'm trying to get my own daughters to latch on to. So, I mean, I, it, I can't tell you how cool it is to hear you say that you're listening to those songs on your way to work and as you're inspiring so many people it's just so cool so keep up the great work and i'm honored that you'd have me on the show and i hope somebody listening today is encouraged by what we've shared they've got to be who could not be come on let's go no what ifs no what ifs indeed all right um, matthew west thank you thank you (laughs) i love the conversation i had with matthew west I am super inspired, and as you can tell, I love his craft, and I want to learn more about it, but I was really interested in how he approaches fatherhood and raising independent young women, so excited to bring that Matthew West conversation to you. Make sure you subscribe to this series wherever you download podcasts and leave a rating and review. I'm Dana Perino. Everything will be okay. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com. Listen to Fox News Podcast shows ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or follow wherever you get your podcasts.